Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're going to form a band, you've got to find a way to stick out from the thousands of other bands that are already out there. The big question is, how? Well, some groups take the artsy approach, which is cool, except when it veers into the realm of pretentiousness. They try so hard to be clever and cute and cool and erudite with their Galois cigarettes and references to Rimbaud and Baudelaire and their spouting of first-year university socialist principles. But then there are groups who do it right, at least in my opinion. Take the White Stripes, for instance. You can tell how much time Jack White spends on every little detail when it comes to the Stripes' sound and image. Even their roadies have special uniforms, and the result is something unified, interesting, multi-layered, and very cool. Trent Reznor, that's another guy who really gets under the hood to make sure that everything syncs up and offers depth for fans who want to explore further. U2, The Cure, Marilyn Manson, Roxy Music, The Sex Pistols, Blur, they all get it without going over the top, mainly because each one of them either A, went to art school, or B, studied art, or C, collect art. Then there's Franz Ferdinand. Now at first, They seem to be an indie-style pop rock band with sharp, angular, catchy songs with neat tempo changes. But if you look closely, you'll see that they're quite artsy too, but in an extremely careful and subtle and tasteful way. In other words, there's way more to Franz Ferdinand than you might realize. Here, let me show you. Actually, better yet, let's hear them show us. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Franz Ferdinand with This Fire. That was one of the singles from their debut record from 2004. Welcome, I'm Alan Cross. For my money, Franz Ferdinand is one of the more interesting new bands of the decade, and they seem to get more interesting with each new record. First, they've definitely got a unique sound and style. You can hear a song and immediately say, hey, that's a Franz Ferdinand song. Second, there are layers of meaning to what they do, from their name to their artwork to what they sing about. And third, as you'll see in a second, they're really nice guys. I had a chance to sit down with singer and lead guy Alex Capranos and drummer Paul Thompson, and we went through an unfiltered history of Franz Ferdinand. Let's start at the very beginning. Alex, Paul, bass player Bob Hardy, and guitarist Nick McCarthy all played in a bunch of different bands in and around Glasgow back in the 1990s. 
Chances are that unless you were going to gigs at places like King Tut's Wawa Hut or Sloan's or the Cat House or the old fruit market, you've never heard of bands like Corellia or Yummy Fur or Embryo or 10P Invaders. Albums do exist, though. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play you bits of these pre-Franz Ferdinand bands so you can see how tiny slices of each eventually coalesced into the sound and style that we know today. You got it? Okay. Let's start with the Corellia. They made a record called Divorce at High Noon in 1997. Alex Capranos was trading as Alex Huntley back then, and among the instruments he played was the bazooki. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Listen to the style and structure of this song, especially what happens about two minutes in. This is called Love's a Cliché. The passion leads you Alex Kapranos of Franz Ferdinand working in the middle 90s with a band called The Corellia. Notice the unexpected and dramatic tempo change halfway through the song? Where have we heard that before? Yummy Fur came next. This is where Alex met Paul, and they sounded like this. Oddly retro electronica from the pre-Franz band called Yummy Fur. In the video, the keyboard player is wearing a Canadian flag t-shirt. Um, he committed suicide in 1999. I, I, I don't think there's a connection. I couldn't find anything by 10P Invaders, but Embryo is another story. This was a German band which was formed in 1969 and still exists today. They are part of the Krautrock scene, which is very experimental, sort of prog rockish, and occasionally ventures into the almost jazzy. Guitarist Nick McCarthy was in and out of Embryo. He joined them while he was growing up in Munich and toured the world as their bass player. He also played the lute. A quick taste, please. Eventually, Nick joined a German jazz band called Scatter on bass before deciding to move back to Glasgow in about 2001. Now, Alex and Paul were already hanging out together. Alex had a buddy named Bob that he met while working together as dessert chefs at a Glasgow restaurant. He wanted to learn how to play the bass, so Alex taught him using a bass that he got from a former member of the twee Scottish band Bell and Sebastian. Now, interesting thing about Bob, 
Keep this in the back of your mind when you hear Franz Ferdinand songs because it may lead somewhere. Bob has a condition known as synesthesia. It's really hard to explain, but Bob's brain, his actual brain, is wired in a way that he can see smells. Yes, he can see smells. This isn't a handicap. Bob, in fact, considers it to be a gift. He paints, and what he paints are the smells that he sees. He studied painting at the Glasgow School of Art and often exhibits his creations. Now, this intrigued Alex because he was a musician who wanted to learn about art, and Bob was an artist who wanted to learn about music. Now, we'll get back to Bob later because he's a really, really interesting guy. So anyway, Bob learns to play the bass. Alex and Paul already have a history together, and Nick comes into the picture after Nick's girlfriend meets Bob at art school. But if you ask Alex and Paul about the origins of Franz Ferdinand, uh, they get a little confused. Nick moved to Glasgow in 2002. Bob and I had been talking about getting a band together, and Bob, Paul, and I used to hang out in Glasgow together. We'd been kind of making electronic music. Then we met up with Nick and started rehearsing. Uh, when was that? January 2002? Or yeah, February? 2003, I'm thinking. Uh, like... We first started playing. First show, I think, was in like April two thousand and three. No, it was two thousand two. Was it? Aye, definitely. Mm-hmm. Because two thousand three is when we recorded the first album. Right. That was summer. Uh huh. And we'd been playing for a year before that. Right. Okay. Yeah, because remember we met CERN in January two thousand and three. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're asking yeah. the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like it happened to me or anything. Yeah. <laughs> the band needed a name, so all being of the artsy persuasion and with all kinds of artsy friends, this became nothing less than a mission, and they came up with Franz Ferdinand. Now, a little history was required at this point. The Archduke Franz Ferdinand was a real person. He was a member of the royal family that ruled the Austro-Hungarian Empire in the early 20th century. On June 28, 1914, he was riding through Sarajevo in the province of Bosnia-Herzegovina when he was assassinated by a 20-year-old guy named Gavrilo Princip. This assassination led to a series of cascading events that eventually led to the breakout of World War I. That one moment in Sarajevo, June 28, 1914, was the beginning of a century of change, a century of carnage that saw millions upon millions of people lose their lives. So. Why name a band after an assassinated heir to a dead empire? Yeah, it's one of those names that sticks in your head, though, isn't it? Like, uh, I, I guess, like, choosing the name sort of reflected our attitude towards the music. The first thing about it is it sounds good. It's immediate. You know, it, 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 it alliterates and it has a, a good rhythm to it. Dum-dum-da-dum, uh, Franz Ferdinand. It sounded good. But also, the theory behind the name was that he was this this guy and when, when he was shot everything turned on that moment nothing was quite the same afterwards and that's when the 20th century really began in terms of history and I think that's what all bands should aim towards being obviously very few get there but to be that moment when nothing's quite the same afterwards and that's that's what you should aspire towards being we've met quite a few of his descendants no kidding yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're, they're curious and the, the people want to meet. The, the weirdest one was when we played in Vienna one time and um, there were these two kids came down to the show and the, the local paper was there as well. They were saying, right, okay, now I want you to pose with the band and, with, and want the kids to hold this, this, uh, this etching of the assassination of the Archduke. And like, this is really morbid. You're asking, you're asking these 10-year-old kids to like hold a picture of the, 
of the murder of their great great grandfather yeah. <laughs> that, that unleashed untold yeah, carnage over the entire century. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, Gavril Princip people have shown up, have they? Uh, no, no, yeah. Although no, we did get a, we did get a death threat once, didn't we? Remember, like some guy said he was going to come and murder us because he was a. Oh, really? I missed that one. Okay, now that would be. Weirdly ironic. Yeah, yeah. Members yeah. of the band Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> Murdered by uh, yeah. Gabriel Priscilla. Let's not even go there. Okay, no, let's not. <laughs> I would bet with heart. But, yeah. You know, the irony would be delicious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good bit of irony, bad bit of assassination, yeah. bad bit of death. <laughs> <laughs> Franz Ferdinand with Take Me Out, the first single from the first album, which was released on March 9th, 2004. That track came together in the rehearsal space, which was an abandoned warehouse that they called The Chateau. little artistic irony there. Not only did they practice there, but they held gigs and art events. The cops weren't so sympathetic, though. They raided the place, necessitating a move to a building that was once an old Victorian jail. Again, ironic artsiness. Here's where things really got moving, including experiments with tempo. That's a defining characteristic of many Franz Ferdinand songs, dueling tempos. We heard an extreme example in Take Me Out. But this approach really isn't anything new. Anyone who has ever heard the way the Beatles spliced together a day in the life at the end of the Sgt. Pepper album knows all about this, but still, it was most interesting. Why did Franz do the tempo thing? I don't know, it just seemed right. I, I, I remember when we say, for example, Take Me Out, uh, which is probably the the most extreme example of that, where you've got the slow down about a minute into the song. We had the verses written and the choruses written in the original arrangement, and the verse sounded really good, kind of quite upbeat, about 125 BPM. But the choruses sounded ridiculous, like I was kind of rushing the words and the riff sounded too fast. And we tried playing it like that, tried playing it fast and tried playing it slow, and it just wasn't working. And so... And then I thought, I don't know, let's take all of the verses and put them at the beginning of the song and put all of the choruses at the end of the song and we'll play the first bit fast and slow down for the choruses at the end. And I guess it's being sort of brave enough to use an unconventional song structure, you know, like, like sort of being a little bit experimental. Well, in this day and age when, I mean, rock and roll's been around for 50 years, it's, it's getting more and more difficult for bands to come up with a new approach. And and I remember hearing "Take Me Out" for the first time, going, "Okay, yeah, got yeah. my attention." Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but but it's it's still it's it's, it's you know it's, it's still supposed to be a rock and roll song. It's supposed to. I, I love the idea of experimental music, which still has a strong emphasis on melody. You know, like like that, that's still direct. And I guess that's what we're trying to do with this band. I've always been trying to do from the start. Well, now we know. This debut record was a hugely successful album, selling a million copies in the U.S., winning awards from magazines and MTV. It won two Brit Awards, the Mercury Prize, and a bunch of other honors. Pretty good for a debut record. So now what? The story with the second Franz Ferdinand album in a second. Welcome back. I'm Alan Cross, and we're getting Alex and Paul from Franz Ferdinand to tell their story. All right, so the first album's a monster, lots of acclaim, lots of awards, lots of profits. What do you do for an encore once your first record sets the bar so high? Here's Alex Capranos. I don't know. I, 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 I was so numb at the time, I can hardly remember it. <laughs> I wasn't really feeling pressure like that. The, the, the thing that I, I was... I, I can only speak for myself here. 
but there was so much adrenaline and kind of exhaustion as well that whatever was going on in the, the world around about us just didn't seem real and we seemed kind of detached from that. But we wanted to continue the energy of that first record and the ideas. It felt like we hadn't explored all of the ideas that we'd started with on, on the first record. And that's why the second record came out so quickly after. It was like, come on, this is unfinished business here. We need, we need to kind of do something more with this. Oh, when I woke up tonight, I said, I gotta make somebody love me. I'm gonna make somebody Franz Ferdinand with Do You Want To from the second album, You Could Have It So Much Better, which came out on October 5th, 2005, about 18 months after the first record. Again, art played a big part in the look of the album. All the imagery is from the Soviet communist era. Yeah, uh, w- w- when we came up with the um, the sound for the first, the, so the first incarnation of the band, it did have this, to me it sounded like quite geometric, it was chopped and... There's that adjective that's always used, angular. I think that's maybe a bit overused, but uh, that imagery seemed to suit the music. It was it was bold, geometric, blocky, and yeah, it just well, really, right down to the font. Yeah, it, it, it just yeah matched it. Re- really matched it. There was a the, the, the sort of theory behind the music was uh, clean lines and preciseness and, and boldness and that's what you had in that, that, that sort of form of art as well and, and also this idea of the cut and paste as well I suppose that's you know the song structure we're talking about with a song like Take Me Out you've got so one section cut against another and juxtaposing one idea with another and that's what was at the heart of that too It was also around this time that Alex started writing about food The idea wasn't my idea I've got to be totally honest about that it was one of the editors at The Guardian approached me and said what do you want to write about food and my immediate reaction was like well of course I can't can't write about food I'm a guy in a band I don't know anything about it and I thought well maybe that's a a good position to write about food from because so you didn't come from any kind of food background well I used to work as a chef years ago so uh, but but really my my sort of argument was well yes I'm going to be traveling around the world I'm going to be eating some unusual things I'll give it a go see how it happens And, and it was the the naivety of it appealed to me. The, the fact that I, I don't have the vocabulary of a food critic, that I, that, yeah, I would be naive when, when, I, when, I, when I came to write about it and discovered things. And, and it is exciting when you're in another country, if you're in Thailand and you're walking down the street and there's a, a, a stall on the, on the market selling deep-fried locusts. And you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to give that a go. Deep-fried locusts aren't bad. T- I had uh, them in, in Cambodia. I, 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 yeah, they're, they're not. They're, they just kind of taste... A little bit spicy, and they're crunchy. You know, there's nothing really that extreme. They're like crisps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were. There was. It's weird because like some things you think are going to be really disgusting and and totally foul, kind of like that, because we're programmed to have a, a sort of I don't know some kind of gross reaction to to food like that. But absolutely fine. And then there's other things which you think are going to be really disgusting, and you eat them like bull's testicles. And they are really disgusting, like, but but not but not 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 really disgusting. See, here's my question: more, no, more, no. more disgusting. Okay. You could even imagine them being like, and then then a little bit more disgusting. So, how than that hungry too. do you have to be before eating? You bulls? don't have to be hungry. You just have to be really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's all, it all reminds me of a TV show in the UK called "I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here," where sort of celebrities with flagging careers revive their careers by like 
um, eating cockroaches, eating cockroaches and stuff like that. And then and like the person that wins it, it's like, well done, you sort of revived your career by <laughs> eating a sheep's anus. <laughs> 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 I don't know whether I admire your pity. Yeah, yeah I just try to think that's how just... badly I want my career back. Yeah, yeah. I'll, sheep's I'll anus. do anything. That's, that's pretty bad. <laughs> That was a guy who uh, busted ate a sheep's anus. Shut up, man. No, you didn't. He really? did, yeah. Oh, my God. It's, all, it's, it's like, you know when you... I mean, when you say eat an anus, are you talking about, like, a living sheep? It was just, like, so, doing some it was just so, like, sort of, like, just the area around the actual <laughs> cavity. <laughs> sort of, but, I mean, it, it, the way when he was eating it, it's like, it's like when you eat something that's not very nice and you're like that. I'm chewing, I'm chewing, I'm chewing, I'm chewing. Soon I can, soon I can swallow. <laughs> you just keep going. It's like, uh, all right, good tip. I won't, uh... Don't eat the anus. Words to live by from Franz Ferdinand's Alex Kapranos. More from him and drummer Paul Thompson next. After two albums, a lot of touring, and some really, really weird food, Franz Ferdinand got to take their time to record their third album. That's what happens when you sell three and a half million records. You get to take your time. Here's singer Alex Kapranos. It was about a year and a half. We, after we finished touring at the end of 2006, we all took a bit of a break. Uh, I went to Vancouver and produced the, the Cribs' last record. Uh, then went to New York and mixed that. I recorded an album uh, with my friend Danny as a corrector, which Domino put out this year, actually. Um, and then we met up so February 2007. Yeah. February, March, that sort of time. And that's when we started getting this... this New building together that was our that became the studio in which we recorded the album. Started writing, and um, I started evolving a new sound, like trying to get a new sort of direction for the band. About a year and a half, I'd say. There was a change in visual image too. The Soviet imagery was gone. I, I think the sound of this record so different from the first two records it, it, that artwork work would be inappropriate. You know, the, it doesn't really sound how that artwork looks anymore. Um, and the, the theme of this record is the night. It's a nighttime record, and taking a series of photographs for the artwork of the the album cover and various other covers and for other use, and they're based around um, kind of the ideas of two photographers, uh, Cindy Sherman and Ouija. Ouija was the the famous crime scene photographer who his aesthetic was all about this, the, the, like the idea of the, the explosion of the of the flashbulb and capturing one moment and usually at night as well we have these figures frozen it's usually some kind of extreme crime scene and then Cindy Sherman was uh, a New York artist in the late 70s who had a series of un- untitled film stills where she would make herself up and pose for a, a film still you know the kind of promotional film stills you would get for a movie but for a movie that didn't exist so you would have to use your imagination to imagine to think who the characters were what the plot was and so we're creating a, a series of crime scenes nighttime crime scenes but uh ones where you have to imagine what the crime is and yeah Use your imagination. Well, that'll get the fans talking and well, yeah. guessing and it, blogging. And yeah, then, yeah, it's fun for us as well. It's, it's all improvised. You know, like we, we, we're going to like different cities and using photographers that we like and improvising something. And there was a lot of improvisation on this record as well. And, and yeah, you get some kind of wild results. Now here's the story of the first single from Tonight, Franz Ferdinand. It's called Ulysses. It's mainly about the, the Greek guy all those years ago. Uh, uh, I, I love the story of, of Ulysses. In fact, the James Joyce book is really based on Ulysses too, and Oh Brother Where Art That was based on Ulysses as well. And because it's this, 
fantastic story which will always appeal no matter what decade you're living in, what, no matter what century you're living in. It's about somebody who's lost and rather than, rather than giving up, embraces being lost and takes it as an adventure and goes, yes, I'm lost. What's going to happen next? And I don't know, there's parallels with, with our lives. With that when, you're, when you're on the road and touring around the world, you think you're never going home and you've, you've got to embrace and think, yes, this is the, the best adventure. See, this is why on. it's good to listen to Franz Ferdinand because right. you learn stuff <laughs> that, that yeah. you know, in this YouTube uh, MySpace kind of world, I, I, this, I like this stuff. <laughs> right. I, I do. But they're good stories, you know. I, yeah. I, love, I love the stories. I love Ulysses, the first single from the third Franz Ferdinand album, which we can just call Tonight. One of the things the band experimented with for this record was some old Soviet technology, and you can hear it. Here's Alex explaining how they ended up using something called Polyvox synthesizers. It's like those Lomo cameras as well. You know, they were made to approximate what was happening with a Western camera, like a, a Leica, is it with the, the Lomos and those, those Octavia microphones? That they're supposed to be like an RCA microphone. But, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a case of like reverse engineering where the Soviets would go, right, we can build our own version of these. And we get it kind of wrong. But the kind of wrong is kind of good, you know. And uh, it's true with the Polyvox. I have, to, I have to find out the guy's name. I can't remember his name, but there, there was a, an electronic engineer in Kiev, I think he was, and he, he wanted to build a Moog, loved the sound of the Moog. He knew the theory of how a Moog was built, had heard what they sound like, but had never seen one. And so he built this thing, and it looks like, you know, it looks like the control panel of a Soviet tank. And uh, has huge dials and great big knobs and lots of Russian Cyrillic alphabet text, and uh, it sounds kind of vaguely like a Moog, but not really. It's really extreme. Like, the filters are very aggressive, and it just sounds cool. It sounds different, yeah. Now, here's a track from tonight where you can really hear the polyvox at work. Franz Ferdinand using some ancient Soviet-era synthesizers on a song called Live Alone from the Tonight album. Here's Alex and how a record should look and feel. All a record is or a CD is, it's a container for the music that you can, it's kind of redundant nowadays, isn't it? You, know, you can transfer the music itself over the internet. And so, and so what you have to do is make, if you want to sell the container itself, the container has to be something you want. And yeah. I know I'm a big fan of those containers. I love 45s. I love, I love, LP records and when I was a kid I used to stack up the 45s on, on, on my dance set and I, I loved the sound of them kind of clunking and going between the songs and thought wouldn't it be great if you could have the whole album stacked up on your system like that and yeah okay it's not going to appeal to everybody it's going to appeal to vinyl nuts like us well, but yeah, they, and they exist and, and yeah. vinyl nuts are, are, are really making their presence known because vinyl is inconvenient yeah, you have to really want to listen to something on vinyl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. If, if you move house, <laughs> then you really know how yeah. convenient vinyl is. Yeah, vinyl yeah. I got a few it's, records in yeah. the basement. Oh man, yeah. it's the heaviest thing to transport oh, a box no. of records. Oh, horrible. But if you know, 
if you buy the vinyl and you listen to the vinyl rather than just put it on a shelf someplace, it is a demonstration of your devotion to the music and that band. Well, it's, it's also the difference in sound as well. It, it, there is a huge difference. The way, the way I think about it is um, listening to vinyl is like going to see a film in the cinema. Listening to a CD is like watching a film on a, an HD TV. And listening to an MP3 is like watching a film on YouTube. Mm. You know, that, that's the difference in the quality yeah. of things. So there is obviously yeah. going to be a vinyl version, like a yeah, 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 one hundred eighty gram vinyl, that kind of thing. Yeah, of yeah. course, you know, like, but that, that's good. Like, like Domino is our main label, and they're they're really cool with that sort of stuff. They they get it. They're vinyl nuts too. So. Turn It On from the third Franz Ferdinand album, which is called Tonight. The release date was January 26th, 2009. Now, before I forget, I promised I'd mention something more about Franz Ferdinand bass player Bob Hardy. He's a really interesting guy. Like I said earlier, he has a condition called synesthesia. This is where the brain is wired to perceive the world in different ways. For example, some people can see music. Bob's brain is wired in such a way that he can see smells. Don't ask me to explain it, but most people who have a form of synesthesia consider it to be a gift. Bob also writes graphic novels. Last I heard, he was working on one based on the development of viaducts. You want esoteric? Okay. Then again, he's also worked on an almanac with his aunt, whose name is Francois Hardy. She's an astrologer as well as a musician. And one more thing, Bob is deep into video games. He was a consultant for the development of Rock Band. And here's a general thing about the band. Their slim, stylish look caught the eye of designer John Vivardos. They were signed to front his 2009 ad campaign. So if you read a lot of fashion mags, you're going to see Alex's new wardrobe. A lot. Interesting guys, these Franz Ferdinand people. And thanks to Alex and Paul for coming in to tell their story. Natalia helped with the research. Mike did the editing. And Rob Johnston is in charge of all the technical production. Talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.